Hello, and welcome to Evaluand. This is the show where we interview people about any and all things evaluation related. I am your host, Dana Jane Linnell, recording on the ancestral lands of the Anishinaabe people in Menominee, Wisconsin. Michael Moses is a social impact strategist, evaluator, and facilitator with more than 12 years of experience working at the intersection of strategy, learning, and social change. He currently works for Encompass as a monitoring evaluation and learning advisor. I'm really excited to learn more about him and his work in today's episode. So before we get started, Michael, if you want to introduce yourself for our listeners, uh, I'm always interested in learning more about how people got into evaluation. So if you want to start there, I'd love to hear more. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, thank you for having me. I uh, have not appeared on a podcast before, at least as far as I'm aware. So really excited to have the opportunity to chat and to learn about you and your experiences as well. I have been working, as you said, in in your intro um, evaluation um, throughout the course of my career. And I really got started in evaluation um, when I was at a small NGO called Global Integrity, which um, did a bunch of different things, but one of the things that, that we did was really focus on helping partners who tended to be civil society organizations, sometimes private foundations, INGOs, and um, a mixed bag of others really figure out what their strategies were for addressing complex challenges and then how they could learn about the implementation of their strategies over time such that they could adapt and be more effective as context changed as they learn stuff and and things like that. So that's really where I got introduced to, to this kind of work. And then over the years through working in a variety of different positions, had the opportunity to um, engage with lots of folks in the U.S. government, with a number of different private foundations, and then with lots of really, really amazing grantee organizations and places across the world. And that has has been the sort of thing that I've been working on. Are there any theories that you use that uh, are related to complex systems that you use in your evaluation work? Yeah, I think there's there's a, a lot of different stuff that has informed my approach and uh, you know everything that I do. I think is a, a a grab bag of stuff that other people have have tried over the years, um, and so I always mispronounce this. Uh, but there's the Cunefin, Cunefin, Cinefin, depending on on where you're from, framework, which helps folks think about whether um, a system or a problem is complicated or complex or chaotic. Um, and so that work, which a, a bunch of different people have worked on, including you know, Dave Snowden comes to mind and uh, a, a bunch of others have um, has really helped me think about the, the partners that I'm trying to support, um, whether it's something that's complicated, in which case you can kind of bring um, you know, a, a roadmap or a, a sort of best practice approach to that work and, and sort of replicate that across context. Like something might be hard to figure out, but you can't figure it out. There's a roadmap for really achieving the results that you're going for versus something that's complex, in which case the context is likely to be evolving. The system itself is likely to be changing and there's not really going to be a linear route from A to B in terms of getting to a solution. And so in that case, you need to bring a variety of other approaches to the design of a particular program towards really understanding the problem that you're trying to address or even framing out the sort of success that you're shooting for. And in terms of working out how to do that sort of thing, I think I've been able and, and really fortunate to pull from a bunch of disciplines and, and the work of folks uh, 
across the world and really across decades as well. Um, you know, things like participatory action research, pulling principles and practices from that, I think can be really, really useful. And then there are a variety of, of other approaches that I'm sure we could spend lots of time on from really specific stuff like outcome mapping or outcome harvesting ways of really trying to unpick how change is happening in complex systems to things like strategy testing, which I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to later, even the um, the emergent learning set of approaches that uh, folks like Fourth Quadrant Partners have pioneered over the years. Um, but really, I think a lot of this sort of complexity thinking in development in the international development space has been happening uh, you know, for as long as folks have been doing this kind of work or trying to figure out how to tackle complex challenges in the first place. So um, that is perhaps a bit of a rambly answer, but yeah, uh, short answer, pull from lots of different approaches and disciplines and thinking about how to engage with complexity in ways that are effective. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like just evaluation in general, regardless of what we're working on, requires a multitude of approaches. And yeah, we're definitely typically dealing with very complex situations in our work, aren't we? So I'm wondering, do you have like maybe an illustrative example of all of this work in action that you that you've done in the past or you're currently working on that you could share? Yeah, so I think maybe it would be helpful if I just provide a, a little bit of a of a framework for at least how I and uh, a lot of other people again who I've learned from and had the, uh, the great fortune of working with how they think about what a what a theory based approach for um, learning how to navigate and shape complex systems like what that looks like uh, in sure. terms of a general framework and then once we have that maybe we can talk about a couple of examples does that Perfect. does that make sense yeah um, so I guess we we've talked a little bit about why. Um, you know, taking this kind of approach is is important. Um, I think the only thing that I would add to our previous conversation is that if you're going to be navigating complexity, uh, you need to be able to, to learn and adapt as circumstances change, as the system shifts, as you learn more about what's working in a particular place at a particular point of time. I think it, another thing that this sort of approach, which we'll put some bones on in a moment, um, one thing that makes it really useful is that over time, I think it, it can serve as a, as a framework for shifting power um, and really moving the, the sort of locus of power from, say, uh, donors or, or development actors that are, that are based in London or in D.C. or, or where have you. Um, to the folks who are actually making decisions and um, are really grounded in the context where we're trying to address challenges, so communities and um, local governments and things like that. And then uh, I think the final thing that I would say is that as part of shifting power, it can also, if you're able to, to do this effectively, applying the, the kind of approach that we're going to be talking about can really help facilitate collective action and maybe just as important collective learning over time such that evaluation then isn't simply an accountability framework it's not just about measuring impact and saying you know did we did we achieve our impact and making lots of dubious claims about uh, attribution um, but really a, a way of supporting learning and action over time such as really grounded in in utilization and, and being participatory and facilitating the kind of learning and adaptation that you need to do over time so that is a, a lot of foreground, but I think I'd call out just a, a few different elements of this kind of approach, at least as I've I found it to be helpful in my work. Um, and again, none of these are my ideas. So uh, if if anyone thinks this this sounds really smart, I am not responsible for it. But um, I think the the first kind of step 
in in this work is uh, maybe really obviously it's about making your strategy visible. Um, and that can happen in a variety of ways. But what I like to do and, and work with my partners and my clients to do is really to try and translate theories of change or causal logics or program designs into a, a pretty simple set of if-then statements about how we think change is going to happen. So connecting, of course, the activities that you're going to be engaging in to the outcomes that you're um you're trying to influence or contribute to. And as you articulate those if-then statements and try and put together that causal logic, also making really clear what the key assumptions are in the in the work that you're doing. Um, so what are the key assumptions that underpin that causal logic? What are the things that you would really need to push on to understand is change happening in the way that we might expect? Um, and as you do that kind of work, really thinking about sphere of control, the sphere of influence and the sphere of interest. So connecting what you're doing to who you're trying to influence uh, to the the why of actually you're doing the work in the first place, um, I think can be helpful. And so once you have those if-then statements, once you have those assumptions, then you can develop some learning questions that you can then explore throughout the life of an, of an initiative. So um, those learning questions can really be a framework for exploring whether and how and um, those hypotheses and assumptions are holding and under what conditions and can just be like a good point to anchor the the kind of exploration of the theory that, that you've just articulated. Um, so once you have those learning questions, then you can bring any number of approaches to uh, defining your evidence needs and figuring out what kind of evidence do we need to explore these learning questions. And then you can think about are sentinel indicators appropriate here? Are progress markers going to be most useful for us? Are things like causal link monitoring going to be really exciting? Lots of lots of approaches that you can apply there, but really about getting the kind of evidence that you need to explore those learning questions such that you can understand whether and how those hypotheses and those assumptions are holding or not, and how the overarching context that you're working in, that system, how it's changing over time. So the sort of evidence framework can help us understand like the what of the of the work and, and what's actually happening. And then, and I'll pause here in just a moment, I promise. Then once you have that, you, I think, are really well situated to start building a learning approach and a learning practice such that you can bring folks together. And this is really important and, and the point that I think we oftentimes miss uh, in evaluation, bringing people together various stakeholders from throughout a program or, or a context or a system to make sense of the evidence that you're collecting such that they can reflect together on those learning questions and then most importantly make decisions about whether and how to adapt those hypotheses to shift those assumptions on the basis of the evidence that's been collected and the learning that that has just happened um, again lots of different approaches for implementing that learning approach and really building that learning practice. Uh, I really like before action reviews and after action reviews. I like stuff like strategy testing. Um, uh, I have lots of colleagues who have used things like learning logs to really track how learning is happening over time. Um, maybe we can talk more about those sorts of things later. But uh, once you have that learning approach and that learning practice gets you to the so what, like why does this evidence matter? How does it matter? And then the now what? which is what are we going to do with it? How are we going to take action on, on the basis of this? And again, I know that's that's really obvious, but I, I think it can be really easy to kind of overlook that that now what in particular. Like we've got all this cool evidence, but what do we do? What does it mean? How is it going to inform our work? Um, 
So if you bring all of that together on an iterative basis, then I think you have a strategy and learning framework such that folks can um, really articulate their causal logic, collect evidence that's relevant for exploring that and the broader system, and then get together to learn, to reflect, and then take action to update those things on a regular basis throughout a program or an initiative or what have you, such that over time, you're really uh, using evidence to hopefully navigate and more effectively shape the system that, that you are working in. So that, I think, um, you know, having that strategy, having those evidence um, needs and processes set out, and then building that learning approach and learning practice, that kind of gives you the overarching framework for doing this kind of work. Yeah, that's super helpful. I appreciate you delineating the entire process from start to finish and the iterative process of, of all this. Um, I would love to hear more about the, the um, ways you have, uh, the strategies you use for bringing people together to reflect on all of this. But I kind of want to step back to the very beginning of think like creating the theory of change and like what that looks like for you. I, I'm always interested in how people create theories of change or logic models and maybe your thoughts on whether there are differences between the two and if so, what they are and um, how you create those, whether you are bringing in the, the community and the, the partners in on that process or not, or how you're doing that. And I'd love to hear more about that, that development process, maybe, like, I'm curious, like, what they look like as well. Um, you say you translate them to a bunch of if-then statements, um, but we could also visually represent all of those in, you know, like a causal diagram type thing as well. So I'm curious about all of that related to your theory of change work. Definitely, yeah. So in terms of the difference between a theory of change and a causal model, I think this is, at least for me, something we're different people throughout evaluation, throughout international development, where I spend a lot of my time, will use similar terms uh, to refer to the same thing or different terms. To re like there's just a lot of, I, I don't think we have a, a sort jingle, of systematic- jingle jangle fallacy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I like it. So um, in my experience, or, or the way that I think about a theory of change is that it's really about articulating how we think change happens in a system. So. I work a lot with private foundations and with their grantees. And so when we're thinking about a theory of change, I think that's where we're really thinking about a sort of portfolio level. This is how we think our work is going to um, contribute to the change that we want to see in a system at a sort of high level, at a, at a sort of conceptual level. Whereas um, I don't I don't really talk about causal models these days, or I try not to because um, try to stick to theories of change and then theories of action, which um, at least for me, again, is building on the work of, of lots of other folks who are um, more uh, smarter on, on this sort of thing than I am, just uh, again, cribbing ideas from other folks, but um, theories so of action. Based on like Huey Chan's work? I'm actually not not familiar with, uh, with that human. Um, yeah, so Huey Chen is one yeah. of the theory-driven evaluation theorists, um, gotcha. and uh, if I'm not mistaken, he he describes it as theories of change and theories of action. There's these mm -hmm. two different models that undergird any program, yep. basically. So um, okay. I don't know if he came up with that or if that's something he's adopted from somebody else, but that's that's who I know this work from. Cool. Okay, that's really helpful. Yeah, I was uh, thinking of folks like Danny Burns and, and Stuart Wolseley. Mm um and uh but yeah like the the sort of hierarchy there that you were just describing or the differences between the two um 
basically the same thing. So yeah, maybe another example of folks uh, learning from and, and with each other and um, articulating similar ideas over time. That's That's really cool. Yeah, isn't it fascinating how I feel like a lot of these fields are doing a similar work, but in just such parallel fashions, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've always like, I was getting into like research practice partnerships, and I was so fascinated wa watching their dialogue and how they're progressing as a field when I was like, you could be learning a lot from the field of evaluation, um, mm -hmm. and vice versa, right? But sure. uh, I feel like there, there must be a lot of fields that are uh, working in, in, in parallel and not realizing we should be working a little bit more perpendicular perpendicularly yeah yeah definitely i i think that's really interesting and i um you know when i uh was getting started in my career and thought i had like a lot of a lot of good ideas um that that were novel or innovative of course the more research that i did the more i realized um all of the things that i was thinking about are things that um you know, folks in development have been writing about for 50, 60, 70 years, going all the way back to, you know, people like Bob Chambers. But even like beyond that, a lot of, especially when we think about more participatory approaches um, and we think about shifting power and we think about um, challenging patriarchy and, and things like that in our work, like so much of that is stuff that, um, you know, other folks have been practicing uh for not just decades but you know hundreds of years and uh building from indigenous practice and lots of feminist thinking and, and things like that so Definitely. um yeah um so yeah, i, I so, got us off track it yeah we we're talking no, about theories great. of change and action yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um so you have your sort of portfolio level theory of change and then you can build at the level of a specific program if you have multiple programs that comprise that portfolio if you just have a set of projects for those build more specific grounded theories of action about how you think this program or that project is going to contribute to or initiate uh, and sustain that overarching theory of change. Um, and so this is when you can kind of work at multiple levels and try and use the learning and action that happens within those theories of action or as you implement those um, to inform your thinking about that broader theory of change and your broader understanding of how change happens throughout the, the system and how you're going to contribute to that. Um, in terms of what that work ends up looking like, uh, yeah, I think, um, at least in my experience, people like, and I, this is not a novel insight, people like visuals much more uh, than, than they like a, a set of if-then statements. So I like to do both when I can. Um, and have been really fortunate to work with some really creative um, folks who, who are much better at building visuals than, than I am um, who can come up with really creative ways of uh, portraying a theory of change. I'm uh, working in one program right now where the theory of change is actually a tree, um, which is like pretty cool um, and definitely not something I would have thought of, but is a really nice way of presenting an overall sort of logic as to how this uh, this, this program is intended to be working and then how the various parts of it, including those theories of action kind of fit into it. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think. Yeah. Can we pause there? I'm curious. Um, so the person you're hiring to, to do the visual work, are they, are they in this field or are they just more like graphic artists who are being brought on and you tell them the vision and then they create something. I'm curious like what that looks like. Cause um, you know, a lot of us in the field of evaluation, we're not, we did not come here because of our artistic abilities. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, yeah, just like, I would love to be able to bring on outside partners to do that type of work that I am. Um, I am not an artistic person by any means mm -hmm. like that. So like, I'd love to hear more about how that process works. 
Yeah. So in, in my current role, uh, very fortunate to be working at a company that has like some really brilliant graphic designers mm. on staff and they are really patient with me uh, and, and with our partners as well um, and are able to sort of accompany these kinds of design processes and then update processes as well. We're currently updating one of the, one of the theories of change for uh, one of my partners and clients. And so uh my colleagues who are graphic designers are really close throughout this process. And, um, you know, it's not that they, they come in at the end when we're finally ready for a visual, but help us to really think about as the theory of change comes together, as that causal logic comes together, how do we present this in a way that is both reflective of the overall context and aligns with partner needs and can clearly communicate some of this other information. So I think that sort of embedded approach is, is something that I'm really fortunate to have it encompass, and I think generally um, can be really useful uh, as you're as you're developing this sort of visual logic. And I know I don't know if you've come across the work of, um, for example, like Cat How Ho. Never remember how to pronounce Cat's last name. She is a, a brilliant illustrator facilitator who visually facilitates um, workshops. Um, and I, I can make sure some of her work gets into the into the show notes. But um, when I first came across her work several years ago, um, she, I think, had facilitated uh, a workshop for um, the PPL folks at USAID and distilled this like two day workshop that had covered a, a variety of pretty uh, complex things into like, basically a like a placemat kind of not a cartoon, but see, I'm not being a visual person, I can't really communicate about this effectively, but like really cool distillation of really complex ideas just into a visual that you can look at for 30 seconds and be like, oh, cool, like, I know what happened and what I'm supposed to take away from this event. And she does that sort of thing all the time. And lots of other people do too, but it's very cool. Yeah, I, I you know, you said the name, <laughs> we were talking before about reading things versus hearing things said out loud. Yeah. You said the name, I'm like, I don't know who this is, but then I looked it up. Oh, yes, I've seen her work yeah. all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah, her yeah. visual note-taking stuff is so cool. So yeah, That's I will amazing. definitely have her, uh, and I do not know how to pronounce her last name as well. So I will okay, put sorry, cats, uh, <laughs> yep, <laughs> uh, I'll put that in the show notes so folks can check her work out. Thank you for awesome. reminding me about her great work. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned um, that uh, you're working with an organization right now and updating their theory of change. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm guessing it's through this kind of iterative na nature of the work that has led you to go back to updating the theory of change. But could you like speak a little bit more about like how that decision was made to like we need to update it? Um, is it a huge change that's happening? Like why? What what kind of instigated that that change? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. This in this example, uh, we encompass um, and me and my team specifically have been working as the evaluation and learning partner for uh, this program for a particular foundation um, for quite some time now, preceding even my time at, at Encompass. So I, I think we've been working with this particular partner for eight, nine years at this point, and I've been around for the last two and a half. Um, starting shortly before I joined, they were launching the second iteration of their program. 
And so at that point, they had had a full evaluation that my colleagues at Encompass had done, and they felt like they had learned a lot about the implementation of the first phase of their program. And on that basis, on the basis of those lessons, on the basis of some changes in the context in which they were working, they wanted to update the theory of change to reflect their new understanding of how change would happen, of course, and really help structure their thinking about what sorts of programs they were going to fund and what sorts of organizations they wanted to work with and how they thought that would contribute to, to results and things like that. So at that point, we had the opportunity to really redevelop the whole theory of change from that sort of 1.0 phase for this 2.0 work, which was really cool. Um, and did that, this was, you know, right in the midst of, um, of early COVID when really everything was, was super virtual. But even with that, we're really fortunate that uh, the foundation, their grantees were excited about this process and really willing to engage in a, in a series of pretty intense design workshops over the span of a couple of months. Um, and so through involving both grantees and the program staff and, and their advisors and, and folks like that, we were able to develop a theory of change for the second phase of the program, as well as start putting together an evaluation learning framework, which we would then use to inform the, the implementation of the program to produce learning products throughout the, the next four years of this program and, and support reflection and learning and adaptation and, and all of that fun stuff. Um, and it has been really fun. So over the, the past couple of years, we our team has been working again with grantees and with the foundation to develop what, what we call learning products. And a learning product in this context is really just a hopefully something that's fairly short, but a targeted sort of evaluation activity that is focused on exploring a particular learning question that was part of that evaluation learning framework that we developed. So we'll develop a learning brief or a short report, something like that. And then we will bring a draft of that, which is which basically includes findings uh, that our team has, has put together on the basis of the evidence that um, that we have collected and analyzed. And we'll bring that to the foundation team, we'll bring it to grantees, and then together we will co-create conclusions from that. So really understand like what's the so what of that evidence? Why does it matter for us? How is it relevant? And then think about going back to what we were talking about earlier, what the now what is. How are we going to take action individually, collectively on the basis of this? Um, so we did a series of those learning products. And then towards the end of last year, decided it was a time, it was time um, with the client and with grantees, it's time for like a step back to see, great, so throughout the first year and a half and, and change of this program and of all of these different learning products, like what have we really learned? What does that mean for the, the strategy moving forward? So we did a synthesis of all the learning from the different learning products that we had done. And we worked with the foundation to really figure out what the implications of that uh, that synthesis were. And on that basis, and this is where I'm finally answering your question five minutes later, on that basis decided, okay, it's it's important now because we've learned some things that we didn't know before. We've learned um, a little bit about uh, some, of, some of our assumptions as to how change happens, about some of our causal logic and how it's maybe not playing out exactly as we thought, that now we want to make some tweaks to that theory of change, um, such that it's really as reflective as, a, as our collective thinking and our collective understanding as possible. Um, I'll pause there. I could keep going, but I will pause there. No, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing. And I appreciate getting to hear a very thoughtful process for 
deciding to go through a, a revision to a theory of change, right? I, I feel like a uh, majority of the cases I hear about is uh, they never get changed. Uh, it's just a one and done type thing, which is very unfortunate because yeah. they, they shouldn't be, right? Um, very few programs are staying the exact same from, from start to finish. Um, but then also that uh, sometimes it's just like, well, I think we should just update it. And it's just like, but why? Yeah. What is the impetus for this? So like, I appreciate getting to hear an example of a very thoughtful, critical approach to that led to the theory of change um, being revised. So thank you for mm -hmm. sharing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think for me, that is, that is the crux of, I'm going to speak for the field, perhaps inappropriately here. I think that's where evaluators can really add value and do add value mm -hmm. um, in the sense that like all of the work that we do can, should be focused on really facilitating that kind of learning and that kind of action that helps programs, projects, people just be more effective in terms of addressing the things that they care about. And so I tend to think about a theory of change, including like those theories of action that underpin it, depending on the context, it's a process, it's not a product. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that you should always be revisiting and updating such that it reflects your current thinking. And I know that can end up being a lot of times it sounds like that's really onerous, but I think if you um, are able to, to set up your way of working such that that theory of change is really guiding the decisions that you're making, then it becomes much easier to, uh, to learn about that and then to update your thinking as you need to such that you can be as effective as possible. Yeah, yeah, great. Now, these um, learning briefs that you were mentioning, are these the same things as those, uh, like the learning logs and before and act after action reviews mm. that you're mentioning? Or is this a separate process that you were talking about? Yeah, so th this is separate. That's a, a great question. So um, the the learning briefs or the, the learning products, wh whatever, whatever we call them, um, <laughs> they uh, are really... Um, like targeted analyses, essentially, um, that then get married on to uh, a learning workshop or two um, with with partners, with grantees, um, and then are updated to reflect the results of those workshops. So those are those are products, essentially. Um, the things that I was mentioning earlier in terms of learning practices or, or learning approaches, um, these are essentially tools for bringing folks together to do that sort of collective sense-making um, and decide on, on next steps um, and how you're actually gonna use evidence moving forward. So really to establish that learning practice into which the, the learning products that we were just talking about kind of fit, or those learning products are like an artifact of that learning practice, if that makes any sense. And I realize it may not, but um, I think there are a variety of uh, simple kind of light touch ways in which you can build uh, a learning practice in your organization or with your partners such that you have the opportunity in your standing meetings, in your program management check-ins, what have you, um, to engage with evidence as it comes in, to reflect on it, and then to decide, all right, we're going to make some changes or not on the basis of, of the evidence that we have. So, um, some of the approaches that I was mentioning earlier that I've found to be really helpful in that um, one is just very simply like before action reviews and after action reviews, uh, which are 
essentially a set of questions that you can ask with your colleagues, with your partners um, before and after an event or a major kind of milestone to think about what are our expectations going into this? What do we want to come out of it? And then what actually happened? What do we learn from that process? And what does that mean for our future work? Um, and uh, a, a sort of broader, deeper approach um, that you can actually combine with BARs and AARs that, that I really like is um, called strategy testing. Um, and I, I was first introduced to strategy testing by someone named Deborah Ladner, who, who worked at the Asia Foundation at the time. Um, this is still probably my favorite paper of all time. Um, but uh, it's essentially a, a fairly simple, straightforward way of articulating what your theory of change is for a program and then bringing folks together on a regular basis throughout the implementation of that program to reflect on the different aspects of that theory of change, um, to reflect on any evidence or changes in context that you might have, and then uh, to decide how to make adaptations accordingly. So um, can add something to the show notes on this too, but um, essentially you can build a, a very simple strategy testing table that you just add columns to over time. So then at the end of a program or the end of initiative, you, you can easily see this is what we thought at the beginning. This is how things changed over time. And these are the sorts of uh, results to which we contributed or didn't. Um, and so it's just a really nice and simple way of kind of encouraging folks to uh, reflect on evidence, to capture lessons, and then to adapt over time. So those kinds of practices, those kinds of approaches are the sorts of things that I think can inform um, and support the development and use of the learning products that, that we were talking about a few minutes ago. Then I think you mentioned learning logs as well. Did you mention those? Yeah, so a learning log, uh, this again is something that I mentioned fourth quadrant partners earlier. This is uh, like a key part of their, their emergent learning approach. And a learning log is essentially, um, it's kind of a spreadsheet, I guess, but it's uh, a spreadsheet that has a, a certain structure to it such that when you engage in a learning activity, so let's say you're, you're doing a BAR uh, before action review or an after action review, or you have a strategy testing session or um, any other kind of, of learning activity. When you do that, you can then just take a moment in your, in your learning log spreadsheet to reflect on how that activity went and um, you know, what made it effective, what made it not effective, and what you want to take from that and apply moving forward. And so if you use a learning log, the idea is that over time, your learning practice can actually improve because you're identifying what's working about these specific activities or specific approaches that you're using, um, and then bringing that to bear in your future use of those or, or other activities. So a learning log is uh, maybe confusingly meta uh, but it, it's really about helping you improve your learning practice such that your learning practice can improve the work that you're actually doing. Yeah, it sounds like the the BARs, AARs, and strategy testing are very like reflective practice, but then the learning logs are the reflection on the reflection, which is really exciting, like that you're having, uh, you know, the, the partners that you're working with actually be involved with this. Uh, I, I just say it just seems very fascinating that... Um, that you're, you're building this in. Um, cause I feel like I don't get to hear about that very often. Um, perhaps it's more facilitated by the evaluator as opposed to hear some, some products for you, some processes for you to use in your own practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, again, I've been really fortunate to, to work with a lot of brilliant people and, and partners and clients, um, who are open to, to taking on these sorts of things. I should say though, like 
all kinds of challenges with this. And I, I have not been able to, for example, successfully use a learning log with my clients, much less like with my own organizations. Uh, I do use BARs and AARs all the time and strategy testing approaches. Um, learning logs, I think, are a little bit too meta still. And I, <laughs> I, um, I, I've seen other people use them really effectively, but um, what I do you think I are the barriers to using them? Yeah, so I think this is maybe a broader reflection. Oftentimes, the folks that we as strategists, as evaluators, are trying to support, like they, of course, are really busy. They have a lot yeah. going on. And then the stuff that we are doing or asking them to do can feel really additive. Um, it's like, hey, do this extra activity that's on top of you know all right. the busy stuff that you have going on. And especially in a context where evaluation tends to be framed around accountability um, and where it's about proving impact as opposed to exploring whether and how you're making progress in, in your program. Um, I think it can be really easy for folks to like not, uh, what, what we're doing feels like it's imposing an extra burden on them. So what I've found to be really helpful is to try and integrate the work that we do and the work that I do into the ongoing work and existing processes of organizations and partners such that not asking them to do something extra, um, maybe asking them to do something a little bit differently, um, but really important to meet folks where they're at and help figure out, okay, given your context, given the things that you care about, where can we bring some sort of light touch learning activities to inform the way that you're already doing your work? Um, and so learning logs, I think, um, in order to use them effectively, and again, I've seen lots of other folks use them uh, much more effectively in their work than I've been able to in mine. Um, you need to have a lot of excitement, I think, and a lot of time to engage in that sort of meta level reflective practice, which can just feel burdensome, um, especially given the, you know, the already packed calendars and, and schedules and many activities that folks are already working on. Um, so again, I think other people have used them effectively. I just haven't quite cracked that nut in my own practice consistently yet. I appreciate the the realistic nature of all this work, right? I think we have these ideal uh, desires for how we do our practice and uh, implementing that in the real world is not always uh, easy, easier said than done. Um, so I, I'm wondering, um, we've talked some examples, but did you have like another example that you wanted to kind of holistically walk through this, like uh, of what this looked like with a particular organization? Yeah, I think I can uh, I can give one one other example that's pretty different from the sort of foundation work that we were just talking about. Um, uh, something I had the privilege of working on back in 2016, 2017. Uh, it feels like many, many years ago, but I think of, of this particular initiative all the time and I think uh, learned so much from it and the people that, that I was able to work on with it. But um, this was a piece of work that was funded by Making All Voices Count, which was a um, like a joint initiative of USAID and the artist formerly known as DFID um, and, and some other folks uh, to really explore um, like how civic technology um, could, should support uh, democracy and, and governance work. Um, so that was this overarching sort of funding vehicle within Making All Voices Count uh, the implementing partners of that decided that they wanted to explore what an adaptive learning focused approach to work focused on governance at the subnational level would look like in practice. So uh, 
making all voices count funded this initiative which um i am responsible for the confusion here it was called learning to make all voices count um and uh learning to make all voices count provided grants to six different organizations in five different countries uh, across the world and then i had the privilege of working with those different grantees to really um articulate their own project strategies and their own project level uh, learning frameworks and then to implement those over time, as well as facilitating learning and action and collaboration across these different grantees. So it was, it was really, really cool because the different organizations were really unique. They were all working in subnational contexts in Tanzania, in South Africa, in Kenya, Indonesia, and the Philippines. Um, some of the grantees were like big universities. Uh, one was a was a really large NGO. Another one was like a two-person participatory action research shop uh, working in, in like rural Tanzania. So really different people were involved in these partnerships. And um, we got to come together four times in person throughout the life of this program to really just check in and engage in that sort of reflective practice that, that you and I have been talking about a little bit, both in terms of how our individual projects going and what sorts of insights can we glean and share from our very different experiences, um, as well as like, how is this overarching initiative in which we're trying to learn about how to effectively design and implement adaptive programming like what can we learn collectively about that overarching question and and what is that what does that tell us about how work in the governance space should happen what does that tell us about how these sorts of um, donor driven collaboration should happen and, and what have you so in this again we got to operate at multiple levels where together in a very very messy um, but but ultimately pretty cool process we developed an overarching theory for the the whole program and then each of the participating organizations, of course, had their own projects that they were implementing and learning. And um, so throughout this, we got to bring a bunch of the, the practices that, that we've already talked about together um, and apply them in different contexts and then really intentionally reflect on how they were working in practice. Um, and uh, these different organizations got to share lessons and insights and um, experiences and, and relationships really with the other folks who were participating and, and it ended up just being uh, at least for me I think a, a really foundational experience um, in terms of seeing that this sort of really participatory approach where the donor uh, for example is is really bought into okay we're kind of going to let you guys figure out what you think is useful with these funds um, and then you tell us how we can support you which was which was really cool so the donor was really bought into that sort of participatory collaborative approach and then over time these again very different organizations and very different also got pretty excited about this collective strategy and learning process and really excited to come together and to learn with uh with their partners in, in different contexts so um that is maybe a little all over the place and not as detailed as you'd like so happy to add more if that's useful but that was just a really great demonstration um an instructive demonstration i think for me as to how to do this kind of this work in practice yeah, that sounds like an awesome project to be involved with. Are they, um, is the, are all the organizations still working together and funded by this uh, larger organization and continuing this work? Yeah, so Making All Voices Count, that overarching funding initiative ended in 2017 or early mm -hmm. 2018. So that no longer happens. We still have a WhatsApp group 
that isn't quite as active as it was a few years ago, but uh, where folks will still at least check in uh, mm. every now and again. A lot of folks have, have left the organizations that were participating, but on an individual level, uh, we're still we're still in touch. And you know, uh, some of my some of my best mentors and and colleagues that. Uh, I still ask questions to all the time or, or try and get help from thinking through problems where we're part of this initiative. Um, and so, yeah, uh, really grateful for those relationships uh, in particular, which I think like that yeah. uh, is maybe the most important part of the of the work that, that we do, um, which I think is really easy to to forget about. And sometimes I forget about it, but like to be an effective evaluator, an effective strategist, I think it, it really does depend on um, building and maintaining and nurturing those kinds of relationships with with the folks that you're supporting um, and partnering with. Yeah, yeah. If we want the impact that we want to have, then we need to be developing relationships and doing this in partnership with folks, right? Um, not coming in and just being like, here's how it's going to be. <laughs> That's not yeah, going to exactly. work. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, so when we, um, Actually, real quick, that um, so that was before 2017, you said. So then this was before Encompass? Yeah, so that is when I was working at, um, at the small NGO that I mentioned mm. earlier called Global Integrity, um, which was which was pretty cool. Um, it, it was a it was a really nice opportunity for me to um, I was lucky to kind of get thrown into some situations where um, I really had to learn and, and adapt and figure things out in real time, um, which was very stressful at the time. But I think, yeah. again, um, just super grateful to been able to work with with some of the wonderful people that I did and learn from them and uh, hopefully carry some of those lessons forward in, in my work today. Yeah, getting thrown into the deep end sometimes is the best way to learn, isn't it? <laughs> for sure. For sure. Uh, so when we were originally talking about setting up this podcast, we talked about some other things that we could talk about. And I feel like we've we've mentioned a lot of these, but I'm wondering if there's anything more that you want to say about the adaptive management stuff, um, participatory strategy learning in action to shift power, um, those types of things that we had talked about. And then we decided mm -hmm. to focus on something else, but um, we've got some time if you want to share some. Yeah, I mean, I think those sorts of things are really built into or, or outputs of the kind of process that, that we've been talking about, right? Like if, if you are taking and deploying a, a theory-based approach to, to navigating shaping complex systems, I think um, that is really about supporting adaptive management uh, and adaptation over time. And then if you're doing that in a participatory way, in a way that is really focused on involving in the context of the examples that I've shared, grantees and grantees partners in figuring out what the overarching strategy and goal and purpose of this program is, and just as importantly, in making sense of the evidence that, that you're collecting as it emerges, such that you can then decide, great, we're going to update our theory of change in this way. Um, for example, I, I think um, that over time can be uh, a really powerful way of making sure that the folks who are making decisions are those who are closest to the work and really are best placed to decide what a program is, is trying to do and the problems that it's it's seeking to address and, and things like that. Um, so I think I think we probably covered a, a lot of those bases. Um, I think maybe the the only thing that I'd add, and we've we've already talked about this too a little bit, is that this kind of work, however we frame it, um, I think it really is at the risk of sounding super trite. Um, like it really is about the journey 
uh, as opposed to just getting to that destination. So setting up this sort of learning process over time, I think can be just as meaningful or maybe even more meaningful in some cases as achieving the results that you intended to achieve in a program at, at the beginning of it. Um, and especially if you're trying to meet folks where they're at uh, and provide opportunities, facilitate opportunities such that they can learn together and strengthen their work over time and doing that in a really, a really participatory way. Um, like that can be just as or more meaningful for helping organizations and people and groups like build the kind of resilience and adaptive capacity that they need to keep doing work even after, uh, you know, funding has, has expired or, or what have you. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I, I was having a conversation with a colleague yesterday um, and uh, we got to a kind of pessimistic place of like, what are we doing here, right? Sometimes we just don't see the change that we want to see in the programs that we work with or as a result of the evaluations that we do. And so sometimes it just feels like, what are we doing here? Um, but yeah, I think, I think focusing on that learning journey and how learning could be the outcome, like is, is, right, is a very valuable outcome that we should also be taking into consideration. Um, it makes me feel a little bit better. I ended the night just like, oh, what am I doing here? So I appreciate that. I, cause I agree completely. Like the, you know, the um, evaluative thinking that, that our clients might come away with or um, the, better understanding of how to use or do evaluation is a very valuable skill um, in and of itself, um, even if, you know, the funding runs out or the program doesn't continue or anything like that. Um, as long as we're not doing harm with the programs and stuff, like, you know, well, then I get into another place of like, well, that's a lot of money to waste. <laughs> yeah, but I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think uh, I often end up in, in that in that questioning space as well. And I think we would probably be doing doing our work really poorly if we didn't uh, question mm -hmm. the value of it. Um, so I think that kind of reflective practice is really helpful in that sort of checking yeah. of our assumptions about how like, yes, what we're doing is valuable. It's like, well, yeah, it can be, but only at least in, in my view, if, again, we're helping folks do their work, the work that they care about more effectively. Yeah. And that really is about embedding that, that kind of learning and that sort of relationship building, that sort of sense of collaboration and participation and shifting power and all that stuff. And um, I, I was talking to somebody uh, about this last week and um, I, maybe I was feeling uh, similar to you. <laughs> I was feeling pretty pessimistic and I was like, ah, oh, well, like if we can't do all of these things, like, aren't we just perpetuating the same sort of colonial imperialist harms exactly. that, that have always um, really suffused uh, international development? Um, and she, I think, made a perhaps simple, uh, but for me, a really powerful point in that moment. was like, well, yeah, but isn't it better than, than the alternative? Like, is it making some progress or trying to better than not making any? Um, and... Uh, Again, maybe that's really obvious, but I, I found that a really helpful sort of sense check, especially being, um, you know, someone with with all of the the privileges that, that I do. I, I think it's really important for folks like me to at least try to, um, yeah. you know, to shift practice in, in some way. And um, that's that's the only way change happens, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Incrementally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like that is a really lovely way to end the podcast, but um, I do like to end with something that um, 
Code Switch used to do a podcast I love to listen to, and they would ask what song is giving you life right now. But I'm curious, what in evaluation is giving you life right now? Yeah, thank you for the question. So uh, the person that I was talking to last week was actually teaching a course on how to decolonize uh, mm. monitoring, evaluation, and research. And um, I I am really excited about the the number of people who are thinking about and talking about and practicing um, that sort of work that are really trying to think about, cool, how do we make monitoring, evaluation, learning, strategy processes, research, international development as a whole, how do we make that more participatory? How do we make that more collaborative? How do we make it um, make things function in such a way that, as we've talked about a few times, that folks who are closest to problems really get to own uh, the resources and the programs that that are meant to address those those problems. Um, yeah. And again, like this isn't new. Um, and indigenous thinkers and, and feminist thinkers and scholars have been writing about thinking about practicing this sort of thing for you know long before long before you and I were around to uh, to talk about it. But um, it does feel to me like certainly over the past couple of years, there's more currency around those kinds of approaches in the broader sort of space. Um, yeah. And so I'm excited to hopefully see and support that momentum um, and uh, keep keep helping folks get some traction on those fronts. So that that is exciting. That does sound like an awesome course that you're taking. Yeah. Um, so anything else that you want to share with our listeners, uh, contact information, anything exciting coming up for you that you want to share? Yeah, so uh, I guess contact information will be will be in the show notes. Um, I know. Um, at Encompass, like we're really excited to continue having conversations about the, the kinds of approaches that you and I have been discussing and, and really learning from other folks as well. So always happy to uh, have a, a coffee, which will probably be virtual given the, <laughs> given the times, but maybe could be in person um, and really just hear about how other folks are trying to, to tackle complexity and, and how you're really trying to embed evaluative practice in, in your work. Um, and to do that in ways that are participatory and collaborative and are about shifting power. So uh, always happy to have those kinds of things. And then I, I think at Encompass, we're really working on building out our own internal learning system and, and our own internal practice. And so excited about that, excited about the um, the work that, that we continue to do with, with our partners and clients and um, you know, hopefully continuing to deepen my own practice on, on these things in the, in the months and, and years ahead. So, yeah. Wonderful. Will you be at the uh, AEA conference in October? I hope so. I may have to do another another trip uh, for a ah, client at that yeah. time. But as long as that doesn't overlap, I definitely intend to be there. And it would be great to uh, to meet you in person now that we yeah. spent all this time together. Yeah. yeah, that'd be awesome. Hopefully, hopefully we can see each other there. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all your wisdom and expertise and experience in doing all this work. I, I feel like I've, um, one, uh, maybe not feeling so pessimistic from my last night's conversation with a friend, um, but also just feel like I've learned a little bit more about um, navigating complexity in the work that we do. So thank you. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been, it's been lovely to chat. I hope you've enjoyed this episode please visit the podcast website at evaluland.fireside.fm where you can subscribe to get notified of new episodes and contact us with your questions, comments, or suggestions. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, this has been Evaluland.